Welcome to Mafliato, a Harry Potter podcast where we fill your ears to prevent you from hearing nearby conversations. I'm Josh. And I'm Blake, and today Josh and I take a little nap in divination as we continue our journey through Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire and come now to the 29th chapter, The Dream. Now, Josh, out of all the locations around Hogwarts for a lovely nap to take place, the the divination class with its lovely aromas, maybe, maybe lovely. I'm not too too sure on that, um, but you know, maybe peaceful vibe with the uh, the cushions. That would be big up there. But my other one would probably be, uh, you know, beside the 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 Great Lake. Any others that you can think of that would be a prime mm. napping location around school? Because surely there's students out there that just get a little bit tired. And uh, during their breaks, they just want to kick back, close their eyes, have a little bit of a little bit of a nap. So any other locations that you can think of? Yeah, one thing that came to mind straight away for me would be the Gryffindor common room. As soon as mm-hmm. you know, yep. most of the, the people have gone to bed or before it's become quite, quite populated because... Of of just how those chairs are described, how the warm yes. fire is described. That sounds incredible. Although it does often sound like it's about like fifteen seconds away from a party erupting most <laughs> of the time. So so that's a, I think that that room has a lot of potential, um, but also some huge weaknesses. Yeah, if you can if you can get to sleep, you are fearful yeah. of being woken yeah. up uh, with a rage going right. around. As soon yeah. as Fred and George bring back some food from the kitchens, then it's just it's party time. But like, I think out of all of the the common rooms, you know, maybe with the exception of Hufflepuff, that like, yeah, this surely Gryffindor has got to be the comfiest. Like, I can't imagine being under the lake and in the dungeons of Slytherin. Like, yeah, they might have some nice chairs, but is it really the best napping location? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So I think I think Gryffindor common room, uh, you know, the lake and, uh, and obviously uh, uh, the divination classroom are great places uh, to take a to take a nap. Yeah, no, that would be a definitely uh, some good good places there. Um, another another thought would perhaps be, um, you know, if you're really struggling to sleep in the summertime, we don't know uh, how AC works at at Hogwarts. If uh, if it's one of the technologies affected by by magical presence, but yeah, um, yeah. perhaps somewhere in the dungeons might be really nice and cool during the summer. You know, if you if you okay. or maybe if you've got like a fever, you could like lay your pillow on the the cold stone floor and it might start to be like one of those magical pillows that it's like cold on your face you know (laughs) i think i think in the summertime i think the cold stone of some of the cooler parts of the castle would probably be quite nice Uh, and it sounds like it would be awesome yeah yeah there's a few courtyard areas in hogwarts as well and i feel like maybe one of those courtyard Mm. areas would be quite a nice place because it would be shaded but still maybe allow for a bit of a breeze to come through uh and so look at us josh we're just i'm already feeling sleepy right now um i don't know about you but maybe we should crack on with the chapter summary and get into it after harry reports back to ron and hermione the three of them try and figure out who stunned victor crumb and what happened to mr crouch however they like everyone else are unable to solve the mystery the next morning the trio travel to the owlery to send a letter to sirius there they meet fred and george who are acting equally secretive and seem to be discussing something more sinister than the trio once they leave ron speculates that it may have to do with their plans to open a joke shop and their current troubles financing it Later on, they visit Professor Moody, now the holder of the Marauder's Map, who tells them that even with this magical object, he was unable to see Mr. Crouch or figure out what happened to Victor. 
Sirius's response to Harry is largely a lecture about the dangers of being out in the grounds with Victor Crumb at night. Harry's godfather remains suspicious about the person or persons who put his name in the goblet and urges him to stay near Ron and Hermione at all times. In preparation for the final task, Ron and Hermione try and help train Harry in various jinxes and defensive magic. Of particular use are the stunning spell and the impediment jinx. As busy as he is, Harry's classes continue, and one day in divination class, Harry falls asleep. While dreaming, he finds himself on an owl flying into a house where he sees Wormtail and a large snake. He also hears a voice in an armchair which rebukes Wormtail, but concedes that he will allow him to live and that soon Harry Potter may be dead. Harry wakes up on Trelawney's floor with his scar burning. Thinking he has had a great dream, the divination professor urges him to share his vision. Instead, Harry runs to the headmaster's office. Outside the room, he hears Cornelius Fudge, Dumbledore, and Professor Moody discussing the recent disappearances. The last piece of information he hears is about Fudge's suspicions about Madame Maxime. Before Professor Moody and his magical eye let Dumbledore know that Harry is listening outside. Yeah, that's one thing that I, I find interesting is that I feel like Cornelius Fudge has a little bit out for uh, the Giants. I don't know if you're feeling that, Josh, but I feel like he has a little bit out for the Giants and there's not as much trust when it comes to, uh, you know, Dumbledore and who he, you know, seems as is, is, is safe and, uh, you know, uh, to come into his school. And, you know, like, I feel like if Dumbledore trusts them, I think I think they're all right. Yeah, I think Cornelius Fudge is a great example. And by great, I don't mean like he's a great person, but <laughs> I think he's a great example of of kind of the run of the mill prejudices that most most wizards and witches would have. Mm. Um, you know, he's not a Death Eater. He doesn't seem to be someone from uh, the worst parts of Slytherin, um, and yet these are the feelings he has. He's kind of like an adult version of Ron in some of these ways, you know, Ron also has, has some, some things to say about Madame Maxime. And so I think that that he probably represents how a lot of people feel. And uh, Dumbledore would be the unique person there rather than the normal person. Yeah. And, and I mean, you gotta, you gotta admit that like, yes, giants are dangerous, right? Like giants, you know, do Mm. are, are crazy, but like, but these are not like full giants, you know that we're talking about right. here. Yeah. Uh, they're they're half giants that are just living in normal society, uh, and and you've got to mm. think that like makes them completely different than you know maybe the the more kind of like very tribal savage kind of giants that are you know essentially chopping off each other's heads to become you know the chief or or whatever you know whatever mm. it is like you know there's some pretty pretty um you know gruesome moments where they beat each other up and they they you know they fight and challenge to the death to to become the new leader and um and you're like well it's not that you know we're not we're not looking at that so i just find that it's a i'm like come on cornelius like this is okay like she's the headmaster of a wizarding school in france mm. like i mean it's like come on you know like it's it uh, just it kind of makes me uh, yeah, it does. It does seem bit. interesting, Blake. And I, you know, we don't get a lot of insight into this, and it's probably because it's not a main a main point of the series. But <laughs> um, it's it's curious how um, how quickly that kind of savagery um, works its way out of of giants. Like within one generation, um, it's it's gone. You know. Whereas you look at the like you look at Hag- Hagrid's half brother and it's it's like a completely different species in a way like it's it's so different right and and you have Meta Maxime and and Hagrid who are like humans with 
some giant characteristics. You know what I mean? Like, mm. it seems like there's no one we encounter who's, you know, who has the, the temperament of a giant, but the, the body size of a human or anything like that. Like, it, it's it's yeah. interesting that it's it's not like this is 10 generations down the line. This is, you know, Hagrid's mum. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and if we look at Grob, who's, you know, giant on giant, like it's it's not, you know, yeah. he's not like Hagrid. Um, you know, you see the differences, right? But he is smaller for his age. Um, and so, you know, you think like, you know, as soon as you bring in the mix of another person, now human, and we don't need to go into the details of that as we, as we've we mentioned that a few episodes. As we've already ago. done. <laughs> as we've already, yeah. Um, that it's that's a bit confusing, but you know that's just not the case here. So as soon as you have that in- introduction, you know you've got now someone who's working at Hogwarts, someone who's the head of a wizarding school. You know these are half giants, and you know I don't think we hear of any other half giants out there. And uh, you know maybe in some kind of like you know further history of of uh, Hogwarts or anything, but you know it's just one of those things that you you think the from the evidence that we have, there's really no reason to fear. Yeah, no, exactly right, and and I guess it's just it's one of those things that that they have to uh, fight against their their whole lives, it seems, and, and who knows what what uh, uh, France's attitudes are towards this, but it seems like uh, in the in the UK they're still very uh, very anti giant, very anti half giant, but but who knows what Madame Maxime had to go against in her uh, route to the top of Beaubaton. Well, it's, it seems like it's the similar thing because she's so uh, protective over that information when it comes to, you know, Hagrid talking yeah, to her about it, yeah, right? Yeah. And so, like, it's, I am big boned. And you're like, uh, excuse me, what? Like, those are some, those are some <laughs> Great big accent. bones. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, thank you. <laughs> Uh, not as good <laughs> it's it's one of those it's one of those things that you uh you know mm. you, you, it's a such a small thing but i'm just curious you know it's a throwaway comment but uh you know it's obviously uh, and double door says that you know it's obviously um that he's the one that's uh sort of being prejudiced rather than uh the other way around so like the, for this key key theme I, i'd say it's you know this is another chapter where we have a lot of of different things going on and so it's not as though um, this is, you know, maybe my my tidiest key theme, but it does bring together in some way uh, a lot of what is happening, and um, and that would be the the theme or the idea of dreams and disappearances. This is a one of the most important uh, Voldemort related dreams uh, in the series mm. so far. There'll be some some more important ones later on, but this is a really really crucial one that's happened so far, as well as this is a chapter where we're kind of brought together the fact that there are all these disappearances going on. We'll we'll see that in the next chapter, the fact that Dumbledore is tying these things together. But it's it's almost as if these um these reminders keep getting brought up that, oh, that's right, Bertha Jorkin still is missing. Oh, now now the, yeah. the the tally has has increased. And and so that's, you know, something that it's almost like the well, not almost like it, it is the fact that J.K. Rowling is is making sure that the reader doesn't forget that, that you know, these disappearances keep happening. And one of the ways that we see these disappearances happening is is actually through Harry's dreams, right? That's how we found out about Frank Bryce. We weren't there, but we were taken there through Harry's dream. And then now again, we're taken through Harry's dream to um the scene where these disappearances and murders have taken place yeah no i i like this and i think maybe maybe in the next chapter we do see this uh a little bit more in as sort of like a, a literary device of l- looking i guess yeah we'll, we'll talk we'll talk a little bit about it then that you know this this is a reminder that 
third person limited is is what we're viewing this story through right mm-hmm. and so harry's perspective but a limited perspective that it's it's only what harry's there for and so you know uh, you know there's a few exceptions to that but like from the overall story dreams and these kind of you know visions or or whatever it is uh, are ways that we can kind of go into other people's you know heads and minds in a way and and that connection with Voldemort um and you know look at me talking about it now rather maybe in the the next chapter where we see it but but like it you know there it is that like Harry now can experience some of these things and we as readers can get information from say Voldemort's perspective and what's happening there but it's still justifiable because Harry has that connection um, through his scar and mm. through what happened. And so just really clever. But yes, you know, J.K. Rowling is reminding us of some of these important bits of information that we're going to need in the coming chapters as we get into some of the explanation of like maybe how, you know, uh, Lord Voldemort came back uh, to, to full power. Um, and yeah, that's know, right. How yeah. all of that happened. So we're not left like, oh, you should have remembered that from not the start of the book, but, you know, like a quarter of the way through, half the way through, you should have remembered that. It's like, no, no, like there's, there's these wonderful little moments where she's making sure that all of the readers are sort of understanding some of these core bits of information. Like they're not secret hidden little things like some of those other uh, bits of information that we kind of, you know, go back through the second read through and you sort of pick up on and go, ah, I see what she did there. It's none of that. It's, it's like sort of essential to the plot. Yeah. If, if you're, if you're not getting this, you'd be missing out on, on what's going on. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's the key plot element of a, of a chapter and and we really need to pay attention before moving on. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. For character development, looking at, at Harry and and his progression through this chapter, because really this, this chapter just leads up to that dream, right? Uh, You know, first of all, Harry's preparing for that third task and then dreams uh, of Voldemort and the divination class. And then he kind of reports to Dumbledore, right? That's kind of how I see this sort of, Mm. you know, these things and, and the reports to Dumbledore, you know, we get into that next chapter. That's, it's more just him arriving and being outside the door. And then, and so that's, that's all good there. But firstly, Harry prepares, appears for this third task by looking into some you know some spells and hexes and and ron and hermione are helping them a lot maybe to the detriment of their exam preps and studies uh, which is uh, just well at least one of them at least yeah we all know hermione's doing it on the side and ron's just using it as a flat excuse not to not to do ron's like oh we're really missing out on our study time aren't we hermione she's like seriously you're not studying um yeah so good that's so good and so exactly yeah so ron ron's just uh yeah what a great friend to a to a certain extent he really should still be focusing on on his studies but you know they're helping him we we know that when mrs weasley asks him why his exam results were so poor he'd be like mom i was helping harry the whole time yeah and i think that would be a decent enough excuse coming you know like i'm just thinking of mrs weasley and thinking about the experience of like you know they find out their exam results right after the holidays so you know the graveyard it's all happened already Mm. and i think it might be like yeah i think ron might be pushing that a little bit you know and and uh, if there was an excuse i mean that's a pretty good excuse i think she would be understanding being like oh man i'm so glad you helped your best friend harry because i don't know what he would do and you know he came out alive ron you helped him you're amazing I think he could totally spin that, um, not saying that mm. that's what he should do. Yeah. And, and we know that's not beneath Ron. Ron will <laughs> will do just about anything when it comes to justifying his uh, his low marks, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So true. There, there's a little bit of, uh, you know, development in Ron's character right there. 
but uh, yes, yeah, so we, 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 we see we see Harry preparing for that third task, right? And he uses some of these spells, um, uh, and you know, it's a bit of world building, but um, it's probably kind of the the biggest world building that we see maybe in this chapter. But you know, the impediment jinx, right? Uh, that usually sort of mm-hmm. immobilizes a target. It sort of can push it backwards sometimes, but I think. Overall, it slows the velocity of, you know, whoever the target is, whether it be a creature or a person, like their movement. Um, So it's a very helpful spell, especially if there's projectiles being flown at you or a creature running at you. The impediment jigs would actually be a pretty sweet one to to have. And then there's the stunning spell, Mm. right? That's kind of like the the classic bread and butter that Harry has, you know, stupefy and and um, and then yeah, the disarming uh, is is one of the things that Hermione mentions that you know we don't need to do that because Harry, you got that sorted. We don't need to do that because that's one of the two spells Harry already knows. Exactly, that's that's <laughs> probably the only one that he needs to know. Let's let's be honest, right? There's an argument. It's like that, he's, that. she's thinking to himself, uh, will he be able to use a Patronus? Because if not, he really only knows one spell. Yeah, that's true. But when he goes up against people. When he goes up against people, there's there's an argument to be had that does he need anything else except a disarming spell? You know, if it works against Voldemort, right? Uh, surely, surely it works against anybody. Um, but uh, mm, yeah, that mm. is quite funny. It's nice that Harry's increasing his repertoire of knowledge. Um, but we we definitely That's get right. this, especially coming into the uh, Dumbledore's army. Right. Eventually, you know, Harry will need to become a teacher Mm. and some of these things that he's learned through these trials and stuff and maybe at an accelerated pace for certain things around the defense against the dark arts. Harry's able to teach uh, now because he has that experience. So that's a That's a cool thing that he's kind of getting prepped for that third task. And we're not too far away from the third task. Only a couple chapters, Josh. So it's pretty, pretty exciting. Uh, there but uh, when it comes to the dreaming uh, and uh, falling asleep in divination class and dreaming of Voldemort yeah I mean this is one of those things where it's this vision this dreams this kind of connection between Voldemort it's actually starting to increase in the next few books isn't it yeah yeah it'll go from really this twice in a school year happening or not you know one was during the the summer even into something which is more and more um, a factor obviously he has to to learn occlumency in, mm. in uh yeah in, in in the next book um but but even when they're on their little gallivanting trip destroying horcruxes uh harry <laughs> is is in terrible pain at times and yeah. and kind of just disregards all that he's learned in occlumency to try and get into voldemort's mind from time to time yeah, he, he almost welcomes the little bit of insight that he gains, mm. uh, but obviously, uh, you know, we will eventually learn that uh, Voldemort then uses the uh, the knowledge of uh, of that to his advantage, which is is not the best. Although, although I would say, obviously, obviously, the whole serious thing is a big a big loss. Like that's that's horrendous, awful. Um, don't want to understate that, but. I do feel like if you, if you're putting everything in a pros and cons list, <laughs> Harry comes out on cons. top. <laughs> well, well I, I don't know if I quite say that, but Harry comes out on top as far as who used who the most. I feel like, who you know, like used he used who he, the most. Sorry, that's just a <laughs> he really random. he really does seem to one up Voldemort um, in in being able to you know know what he's thinking about with with the Horcruxes, know when he's coming back to Hogwarts, all those things. Um, yeah. you know, I, I think, I think that he, it was certainly an expensive price to pay. And I don't know if he would have done it again, if he had known about it, mm. but you know, I, I think Voldemort 
probably underutilizes that maybe more so than, than Harry using it perfectly. I think, you know, Harry's definitely um, responsible for um, serious in a certain aspect, but um, Harry, Harry knows what he's doing at least a little bit in some ways. He he really does know how Voldemort thinks towards the end of the books. Like, and I don't think we can move much, much further before really discussing how excited and then upset <laughs> professor Trelawney is that someone has finally had what seems to be a legitimate dream or vision yes. in her class. She is beside herself. I think I think she's salivating at this opportunity. Yes. And when Harry says he just needs like a headache cure, um, she just gets like, yeah. you know, punched in the face with the realization that she yeah. doesn't get to uh, you know, dissect the meaning of all of this. But to be honest, if she uh heard this, if if Harry actually told her I think she would be like, oh, you know, like just it doesn't mean what you think or it, it kind of maybe doesn't want yeah. to hear about it because, you know, he would be talking about Voldemort and and people wouldn't like that. And I think Trelawney would be scared off by that being very kind of I feel like she's quite timid. Um, but, uh, yeah, that would be really interesting. So uh, unfortunately, he has to leave uh, and uh, and he does. And uh, and Trelawney does not get to play with her uh, new lovely sort of dream uh, her new toy almost uh, in the mm. class and sort of parade Harry around and and do her thing uh, so uh, he's he's le- he, she's left uh, she's left in the lurch yeah well and, and not wanting to wish uh, Professor Umbridge like standards upon Professor Trelawney but you almost got to wonder if she's you know she's starting to think to herself you know I I kind of am a fraud I'm not not very good at this no one in my class ever has visions I never really have visions uh, because it seems like she can't really remember the real she visions that no. she does have. So so it, it, maybe she's really thinking to herself, I can finally put this on my uh, um, you know, professional growth cycle that I'm working on this year. <laughs> I love the use of teaching terminology there, Josh. That's nice. <laughs> yeah, I love that. The old uh, PGC, professional growth yeah, cycle. Yeah, the old PGC, yep. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. That's good. I wonder if there's any teacher listeners out there. It would be interesting, eh, just to mm. to, to see how many uh, yeah. uh, listeners out there are fellow teachers uh, as well. Uh, so uh, hey, let us let us know if you are. Other character development we see, obviously Cornelius Fudge being you know showing the prejudice. We talked about that, but I want to mention Fred and George. A little bit of their sort of subplot that we see yeah. is uh, the sending a letter yeah. to Bagman and talking. You know, they were talking about oh that 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 be sort of blackmailing if we put it like that kind of thing, and and then they sort of stumble in uh, to the trio and uh, it's sort of like that awkward encounter but just a, another little look that we don't actually know who they're sending a letter to and uh, it's only sort of through that uh, second read through that we can kind of connect ah yeah it's bagman you know that's they're trying to mm. uh, they're trying to sort of get that money from him yeah and it's one of those things that you know the stakes yeah the stakes seem really high at this point you know we're we're le- left thinking what what could they be doing but yeah as we find out later on, it's it's something that I guess the stakes are are, are bigger than we once thought because the money is exceptionally high, um, what, yeah. what they've been cheated out of, um, but then also lower in the sense of like, okay, it's just, just Ludo um, and it's just a Quidditch bet, not anything worse than that. No, so yeah, it's kind of like nothing does. things are, are worse than they appear and better than they appear, you know? At the same time, I like that. Yeah, that, yeah. Makes, that makes sense. Yeah. And uh, I love the uh, the moment that Sirius Black has with Harry uh, playing the godfather role and actually kind of like, you know, that oh. fatherly figure and, and instructing Godfather! Harry. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's so good. 
Um, and so, so he's actually instructing Harry on, um, you know, what to do, what not to do, to 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 you know train up and practice uh, hard for the the third task, which he's doing. He is doing, and he listens to uh, to to Sirius Black, and it's nice to actually see that he listens to Sirius when he actually goes to see Dumbledore, and he knows exactly what to do when his scar's hurting, and it's go see Dumbledore, and he actually does that because when you don't include mm. Dumbledore, you know, we often talk about that, and we have in previous books being like, just go see Dumbledore. It would save yeah. so much time, uh, and. So this is one of those times where it's like, nice, Harry, you're doing the right thing. Yeah, except for obviously hashtag Order the Phoenix, where all he wants to do is go see Dumbledore. But this yeah, this book, he gets the right balance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah in that book, he, he's doing the right thing. Dumbledore just straight up doesn't want to see him. So uh, it's like, well, awkward. you know, yeah. maybe after like three books of Harry just trying to do it all by himself, Dumbledore is kind of like, you know what? I'm going to play hard to get. Uh, you want to be near me now, Harry? Well, too bad. You should have wanted to yeah. earlier on. Sucks to be yeah. you. Dumbledore's, Dumbledore's with my petty like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Straight up. He straight <laughs> up is. He's such a sass bucket. <laughs> I like um, sass bucket. Bucket so, of sass. Yeah, but bucket of sass. Like we, we've mentioned already, um, some some parts of the the point of view, the the third person, uh, third person, third person limited omniscient in this chapter that we see. Um, obviously, we know what Harry knows, and we know more than what Harry experiences because of these dreams. So that's quite a clever way of kind of broadening our our horizons. Um, as far as foreshadowing, uh, we do have another uh, Rita Skeeter sighting, and it's funny when you read this through the second, third, however many times you've read it, you just notice how much the bug on the window the bug in the hair bug in yeah. the branches outside over and over again it just comes through and it's like a thread you can almost trace through the book yeah it's just just one of those many layers that Rowling's just putting in her books and i just i love that mm. and so you know we definitely yeah. connect that and it's such a, a wonderful connection that they make in the book specifically you know harry ron hermione kind of thing when when uh hermione actually has captured her um and it's kind of like an after the fact thing uh because obviously she doesn't want to bring it up straight away um because harry's been through an ordeal so um it's just kind of a nice little victory almost um and, uh, yeah. and later yeah. on in future books hermione uses her uh, so, um, you know, way to go, Hermione, and, and talk about blackmailing, you know, when we talk about Fred and George, you know, sending that letter and talking about blackmailing uh, Bagman. It's, uh, it's kind of what Hermione's doing is kind of like exploiting Rita Skeeter and, and blackmailing her a little bit in those in the future books. So, yeah. Well, Blake, this is this chapter is significant, I think, largely because of of the dream, right? The dream is, is yeah. the big significance here. It's the chapter title. It is also the, the part which kind of ushers us along into the, the next chapter as well as what happens post task right the the task yeah. the third task is almost like this one standalone thing which which gets us to the right place but but this chapter prepares us for the graveyard and for the the memories that we'll see in the pensive next chapter some might say it prepares us for task 3b you know you know, if we're thinking three A's of the three B, three B in the graveyard. <laughs> yeah, Ugh. it's rumored. It's rumored that Rowling actually, rather than you know naming it the grave, you know the graveyard and and uh, whatever that chapter's, whatever that chapter's called, I believe it's like a you know flesh, blood, blood and bone. You know, rather yeah. than that, it was actually going to be known as uh, just the chapter title three B, task three B. Um, I heard, and, uh, I heard it was going to be called. <laughs> so you thought it was over. <laughs> Uh, yeah, chapter title, Think Again. And we all know Harry and Cedric 
You know, they're tied after task three, and that's why task 3B is needed. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's you know, the equalizer or, or whatever it is. It's that's that right. final extra yeah. game to just determine the winner. And, you know, by yeah. default, I guess Harry becomes the winner because, uh, unfortunately, Cedric is eliminated from the competition. Uh, so anyway, but that's getting pretty, that's, uh, yeah. Anyway. So dark. <laughs> so dark. Thank you for listening to today's episode. To support the podcast and keep the magic alive, you can leave the rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You can also support us financially at www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash pod and to send us questions on our Instagram, email or website, muffliadopodcast.com. To continue the adventure, join us next time as we discuss the 30th chapter of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, The Pensive.